I'm back to work, everyone, and you are listening to KafaruCast. I have been hanging tree stands and teaching land navigation courses to people that are sure to get lost after that course. But I'm here with Frank across the Yo. table from me and my longtime friend, and I'm going to hack his last name up, Omer Herbinick with Precision Optics, which is the new Kafaru dealer in Canada or British Columbia. What What's up, Omer? Fuck yeah, boys. Good to be here. And- <laughs> good to carry your stuff you know that it's been a long time we've talked about it a lot uh, yeah yeah it's uh it's funny so driving to work thinking i should call omer I, I gotta i gotta i gotta go get a physical this morning after this podcast for my life insurance policy so i'm trying to like think driving down i think i met you that this is my memory uh not met you but internet met you you had posted this badass um this is back when we were running mystery ranch we had posted this, right. this yeah. you posted this badass story. You went on a solo mountain goat hunt, went up and you were shooting an APA bow and you took like a 71 yard shot and killed a goat solo, hiked it out and you had a full essay, you know, photo essay. And there was guys giving you a rash of shit about the shot distance. And I got on there and as I remember it, I defended you like 70 yards. If we can't shoot that far at this point in time in our lives, you suck or you just don't like technology. That's okay. But he did nothing wrong. And I, I think that's where you and I originally had started to converse. Is that my memory fucked up? Or is yeah, that that's right. No, no, you're, you, you haven't taken that many hits to the head. Uh, that was, that was like 2010 and that was on both sites of all places. And yeah, man, very chivalrously, you uh, defended my honor. Um, <laughs> I remember just, I remember distinctly, like, you know, I was, I was pretty proud of the event. Uh, that was my first big game animal. That was an archery kill. Um, at that time, I was pretty enamored with that bow. And I put all the details on there, and I didn't spare anything. And there was like, you know, people were congratulatory, and they, they were like, yeah, way to go, man. Like, it's a cool thing to do. And then all of a sudden, out of the woodwork come these, you know, keyboard warriors were like, well, if you couldn't get within 20 yards of that animal, then maybe you should have let it walk. I'm like, let it walk? Go fuck yourself. Like, you have no idea what it took to do that. I did, it's which is like why. Because you hiked in fuck, from the it's not like <laughs> coast. You came from the ground level yeah, up. It's a cocksucker in there. Yeah, it's not like I was just like, well, let's just go give this a go. Like, I fucking trained for it. I'd been shooting my bow. I'd gone through lots of bows at that time. And, and you know, I, I, I got it done. And I'll tell you what, like, pulling that animal out of there, I had no idea what the fuck I was getting into. I was using a... Not to shift gears too much, but I was using a nice frame with a crew cab, okay? And I took a life-size, I didn't know how, I didn't debone or fuck all, I didn't know what what I was doing. And uh, packed that whole thing in that, that crew cab, and getting it out of here was, and I don't know if I'm allowed to use this word, but it was a f- unsurly cunt to get it out of there, it was <laughs> terrible. And then to, to take shit from these guys who can't see their fucking toes when they stand up from their monitor to go to the fridge to get a schlitz or something like that, and stuff their face was, you know, I was kind of like, whoa, I guess this is what internet hate is about. And that thread got a lot of traction back then. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, um, you kind of put some of them in, in their place. And, you know, I don't know if people know this about you, but, you know, you're, you're not afraid of confrontation. So, uh, it was, it was an interesting way to meet. And back then, fuck, you were, you were just doing pack reviews. Like you were just buying packs with your own dime, yep. wrecking them and just telling people the goods about them. And, um, fuck, I don't know, like, we, we used to chat about every goddamn thing. You'd call me at all hours of the day, and we'd, we'd bullshit about, you know, whether, whether it was, like, a, a down mat or a sleeping bag or 
Fuck, I remember when you were uh, obsessed with quilts. Whatever. You were I was like, never obsessed with quilts. <laughs> no, bullshit. I used that. Bull uh, fucking shit. So that story. You were like, well. You were looking at ounces, and I remember you. You, you ran, I was like, "You're gonna fucking die if you do that." So and you came back, and you're like, "Yeah, that's not the way to go." That's what I'm happened. Glad you kind of got over that. Well, I remember, and I've told this. I just told the story in the seminar that I did about, um, you know, kind of the transition of gear. Like you, you start off with gear. You're you're poor, and you just use whatever you got. And then, you know, you, you, you have a phase where you're trying all kinds of weird shit and the ultra lightweight phase. And then by the time you know what you're doing, you just, the gear's your gear and it's, you know what you're doing and you don't need to fuck around with anything. Well, I went into that lightweight phase and almost killed myself running an alcohol stove and a quilt. And yeah, the, uh, the ultra lightweight life is not for me. Um, especially when a storm comes in in fucking August, when you got a quilt and an alcohol stove, it sucked balls. No, I think we talked about this a long time ago in that, and, and no, absolutely no disrespect here. Okay. But when, you know, the environment that you guys are in, uh, in like Colorado, Montana, it's beautiful, but, um, it's a completely different element when you're in Northern British Columbia where August will burn the fucking skin off your ears by day. And next thing you know, you wake up. We're talking like early opener sheep hunt. Like you're sweating your bag off during the day and you didn't bring enough sunblock and you're literally hiding from the sun during the day. And then you wake up middle of the night and you're like, what the fuck is that noise? Oh, it's a foot and a half of snow on my motherfucking tent. <laughs> like it can, it can swing so dramatically that, you know, you learn very quickly. Um, ounce can, well, anyway, my philosophy is, I don't count ounces almost ever because I learned very quickly that lightweight gear in certain areas is just going to compromise performance or safety. I remember being on my first sheep hunt with Garrick and I bought a Big Agnes bag, no, no slight against Big Agnes, but I bought an ultralight sleeping bag and a really light down mat and I was freezing my nuts off every night. I had everything I owned and brought with me in the bag with me and I was not going to tap out. I'm like, I'm not quitting. We're going to the distance. <laughs> but I was freezing my bag off. And after that, I was like, you know what? Instead of counting ounces, I'll just put another plate on at the gym when I do squats and deadlifts. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, and and with, with kind of what we're t – it's funny what we're talking about because I'm very candid with all the dumb shit that I've done and tried when I talk about this because, you know – with what you just said, like in Colorado, the, 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 it's altitude. That is the problem is, is you got no oxygen, but as far as like yeah. rain and crap, you know, you don't really deal. I mean, you get a late storm, but it, I'd say you get more false hope here of, oh, I've been backpack hunting three times in Colorado and the, you know, whatever sh shelter at that time did fine for them. And it's like, yeah, they, that shit works until it doesn't. But then since, you know, over a decade, I've been able to go, all over the world and hunt and you learn a lot more, you know, you're not basing it off of one, one area, one altitude, you know, one animal, you know, since then I've been able to hunt a bunch more different animals and different terrain guide a lot more. And uh, so I try to give that advice to people when they're asking like, Hey, is the new Sitka cloudburst going to make it in Alaska? Uh, no, it's not, you, you can't, uh, you can't suck, you know, 16 ounces out of a rain gear and make it durable. Uh, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's a Colorado rain gear, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I, I think that's probably why I'm s as cynical as I am 
at times because I see people post things. Nothing wrong with Under Armour boots if you like them, but they're not a sheep hunting boot. And I try, yeah. I try to be politically correct, but most guys are wearing, yeah, some, right. you know, a, a <laughs> somewhat politically correct. Most guys are wearing a specific boot for those type of hard, more those harder hunts. And you'll get a guy that's hunted elk three years in a Danner or a, a, a Ridge Reaper, you know, Under Armour boot. And it's like, oh, I've had great luck with these boots. And it's like, those won't make it through one tough sheep hunt. They're going to leak. Your soul's going to fall off. And then, you know, when you find that out the hard way, it's a pretty miserable trip. Oh, yeah, I've been there. I mean, you know, like most of my early hunting, certainly for goats, was all solo hunting. And, uh, it, you know, it's trial by fire. You know, like one of my favorite quotes by my favorite poet is, what matters most is how we walk through the fire. Well, a solo goat hunting Stuart is fucking fire at its hottest. Like, anybody that's gone there will tell you, you know, I, again, we're just going to go all over the fucking place with this thing. But, um, you know, I mean, at, at this point in my life, the solo hunting thing is kind of in my rearview mirror just because I do anything that's intense and, like, the check knees light comes on or my fucking elbow or my shoulder or whatever the fuck it is is falling apart, right? But, uh, you know, I, I meet plenty of guys or get these emails or texts or messages and they're just, you know, they, they've got the bug and they're just consumed with that place in particular. And, uh, it's always, it's always great to, to, <laughs> to circle back afterwards and, and just hear what their impressions are. And, you know, I think back, I'm like, okay, well, I, I, I wasn't much of a pussy then if it fucking affected me that way too, right? Uh, so you find out really quickly what, what, what gear will and won't work. And, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I've tried the ultralight thing too. I think you might remember vividly. I did, you called me some very specific names over my choice of tent for the environment. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 uh, I, I still have the pictures somewhere. Um, but I, I, I chose, I, again, I was like, okay, what's the lightest, what's the lightest shelter that has room in it? And I got an, and I, and again, no disrespect to the gear. It's a fucking wonderful tent, but just not for what you, you know, you gotta, you gotta choose the right tool for the right job. Well, I took an MSR Carbon Reflex 3 tent, like right to the top of the Stewart Mountains in October. <laughs> it fucking and, snowed a pile. Oh yeah. I mean, the picture is like, I had snow piled up around the, the sides of it just cause like, like that, that tent has no tub. It's mesh interior and it's got a really thin fly and so the wind was blowing right through it. And then ultimately, you know, it, it basically failed on me. Um, I thought I was being smart. I boiled water, put it in my water bottle, zipped it up in my vest, laid in my bag like an idiot, all cozy and all that condensation went through the mesh, hit the fly, the snow landed, developed a crust. Pretty soon the weight of the snow and the wind was pushing the tent on me. And let me tell you, there's nothing that feels better than about 11:30 in the middle of fucking nowhere by yourself, realizing I gotta pack everything up and hike off this fucking mountain, which I which I did. I got to lower ground and and after that I was like, okay, what's what am I doing wrong here? And that's when I discovered Heilberg. And um, you know, when you find some of those gear choices, it's just kind of like, you know, it's like a proper relationship. You're like, I ain't fucking leaving this for fuck all. Like that looks good but I'm not, I'm not screwing this up, right? Like I will never, there's two tents that I'll run in that environment. That's a Stevenson warm light or a, a, a Heileberg, you know, just like you find a good boot. You know, I've got, again, it's public record. My feet have been chewed to shit with the wrong kind of boot. 
uh, in all their glory, and, and I won't run anything other than a Hanwag, you know. And and I, you know, this is not an endorsement, but people have heard me say this a million fucking times, and I do sell other brands, uh, another brand in particular, which I would use, but for the fact that once you turned me onto a Kaferu, um, fuck man, I've had some pretty gnarly packouts uh, with. I've got one of the prototype fulcrums that you sent me a long time ago. It's in uh, Highlander, and it doesn't have all the newest tweaks. But I've had the hardest packouts of my life, like legit, you know, two and a half days with just over 130 pounds on my back and all kinds of terrain. And it's really hard to be like, well, I'll try something else when you've been through hell with a piece of gear. And I think everyone has to find that journey themselves sometimes. You can listen to us, you know, like you've got more field time than fucking Davy Crockett, right? Um, and so you've played with everything. But, but there's also, you know, the intensity of the environment. And so um, I think uh, sometimes people just need to, Stop reading random posts about this or that gear review and really get to the guts of it and listen to the people that have been out there and, and put their money where their mouth is. Because I tell you what, when it comes to packs, there are some cheaper options out there for sure. They're very attractive. We know what they are. You've broken all of them. Um, so, but at the end of the day, sorry, go ahead. No, let's, let's, so a lot of people, I'm not going to bring up companies' names, but a lot of people don't realize one of the companies that I don't represent or use or test now i i actually was the one of the original people that got to test all that stuff and the the reality is is 45 pounds is pretty much comfortable in anything and again and you've got friends that are going to listen to this and hate me but if you're helicopter hunting you're probably not packing out a ton of shit right there's a helicopter there and a, and a big cargo net and 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 so before <laughs> there was a lot of shit i learned later on like how are these guys getting away with x y and z well you know if you're not strapping on 120 to 150 pounds you know a couple three times a year you're really not testing out the durability of of a pack um and so i don't know we can rewind well <laughs> Because you were involved in all this. Remember when Mystery Ranch was, it was okay to be heavy. There was certain different people promoting yeah. that. And Kafaru was too lightweight. We were just too light. Yeah. You, you had to have a 12-pound pack. Now, we're heavy, right? We're seven pounds, and that is considered you heavy. You guys are fat. Yeah, exactly. You guys are the fat ones. Yeah, and yeah. it's funny because rewind when Omer and I met, 12 pounds, the, the, the sales pitch for that was, well, it's more durable. What's it matter if you're already packing a hundred? Those same guys that were bashing Kafaru now say we're too heavy. So it's amazing how you kind of ebb and flow and twist and turn on how things change. And I'm not, I don't give a shit what you buy. Buy what's comfortable for you. But there's a lot of bro science and crap that goes on and different. I mean, you remember all what I'm talking about? We've had, like, there was major oh, battles with me and guys about this. 100%, man. Like, I, I have the conversations all the time. Um, you know, I, I remember, like, to, to sort of really get back into the entomology of the pack system, um, you know, we were both obviously uh, enamored with Mystery Ranch because of uh, the history of it and Dana Gleason and his integrity. And, and then when you got into, like, what the nice frame was designed to do, uh, you know, there's just that cool as association with it, right? Like, when you, got a, when you got an external frame that was designed to carry 
a 250-pound surface-to-air missile over the mountains uh, across the border so that it could be launched, or to throw your, you know, your wound, a wounded fellow soldier in it and carry him on your back, you're like, fuck yeah, I want to be part of that. But then when you actually start looking at how overbuilt it was at that time, like my, my nice frame with my uh, 7900 and accessories was, yeah, it was fuck, man, it was over 10 pounds. And uh, at that time, your, your, your pitch to me, right, because you'd looked at my setup, you're like, well, I can give you all that durability and, and carry factor and shave at least four pounds off your weight. And I, like, I was not swayed by the, by the cutting weight because I'd already had that system loaded to the nuts and I was okay with it. I was, I was more intrigued with uh, just the fact that you were doing it and uh, wanting to try it. And so I, I made that I made that shift over, and I was like, well, this is kind of nice to, to save a little bit weight on my overall carry weight. But I just, I got to say this, and I say it all the time to people. When they pick up, like, a fully decked out Kaferu, they're like, oh, because they're used to another pack system that may weigh two or three pounds lighter, empty. And I stop them right there. I'm like, do not judge a pack empty. That's like judging a chocolate bar with the wrapper on it. Okay, you got to get into it. I'm like, put 80, 90 pounds in both of those. And that light pack system that's nice to carry empty is going to feel like hell froze over on your shoulders and your hips. You know, and, and I'll just, I'll say it because you don't want to say it. But I deal with guys like that have, and I've been on these. There are basically two types of gear right now. There is gear that is very attractive and appropriate for guided hunts. And there is gear that is more appropriate and attractive for do-it-yourselfers. And I've been on guided hunts. I will do guided hunts. I have friends who work in that space. And it's a little bit different when, when the environment and the journey is perhaps a bit more controlled than when you are on a legit, you know, 14 to 21 day or even longer field experience where you cannot have any sort of failure with your gear. Uh, the margin's too high and you, and I, you know, you don't have horses or maybe you have horses and you certainly don't have a hard working guide who's going to take the brunt of everything off your shoulders because that's their job. And, and that has to be said. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. And I, I, you know, as I, as I have gone along through the outdoor industry and everything else, like I, I just listened to a podcast cause somebody sent it to me. It was uh it was Epic Outdoors. And, uh, one of my, my, my best friends was on there really liked the guy. And he was stating that his company was the first to do interchangeable bags and frames, which I believe mm, Kafaru or, or, or Mountain Smith and Dana designed, actually patented that system two and a half decades before that company was even thought of. And he's on a podcast and people are going to listen to that podcast that they were the first to do it. And you, you get a lot of, like I said, with the bro science and everything else, or somebody says something that's very well known that this, this is the be all end all. And it's like, you know, I almost, I got to stay off forums and social because even if I come on there pleasantly and say, Hey, here, here's actually the facts. You kind of look like a hater or disgruntled. So I try to stay off forums and, and social media on specific posts like what you're, you know, you're talking about. You, you can't yeah. say, oh, 
you know, like Solomon Quest GTX boots. My number one thing I get back when I people, tell people not to buy those is Navy SEALs wear them. Well, one, you're not a, a Navy SEAL. Two, they get them free. And three, what they're doing and what you're doing is totally different. Same kind of thing. Well, this hunter who's sponsored by this company uses it. Well, you, you want to dissect it a little bit more than that just to make sure it's applicable to what you're doing uh, in the type of hunt you're doing and where you're going in comparison to what they're doing. And a guided hunt is not always necessarily easier, but, it, you know, like you said, they take the brunt of, you know, they're doing the lion's share of the work. Yeah, there's a total difference between, and again, I've gone on guided hunts. I will continue to do so. I would never disrespect my you know, brothers and sisters who are in the guide community. Um, what I'm saying is there is, a, there is a marked difference when, you know, you're on a do-it-yourself two-week backpack hunt where you literally have to carry everything that you're going to exist on and subsist on. And heaven forbid you kill an animal, you do your part, and you extract that animal. There's just a different, it's different in every way. Um, you know, a guide, part of their obligation and their duty is to ensure that you're safe and that you, they'll, they'll bear a lot of the weight. And so, not just that, the proximity is often much closer, depending on what kind of hunt it is. Like if it's a NWT or a Yukon or an Alaska doll hunt, you know, you're often very proximate to your target. Um, shit, you know, I mean, the last sheep that I was fortunate to take we were a full two and a half days uh, away from like the extraction point. And, uh, you know, I'm a stubborn son of a bitch and my, my main hunting partner, um, you know, he'll, he'll carry you out on his back if, if it needs. But if you tell him like, no motherfucker, I'm carrying my animal out. Otherwise we shouldn't be doing this. Cause him and I have had more than a couple double headers to, together and we've had to rely on ourselves and each other. And I carried every ounce of it out. I just, don't see that happening on a guided hunt. It's never happened. In fact, when I was on a guided hunt, uh, you know, the guy wouldn't let me carry my fucking kill because, like, it's his obligation to do it. So when you're looking at these pack systems that are built to a standard that, you know, can survive that, and guys do get lucky on these longer hunts, but sooner or later, and I talk to them, this is not fucking hearsay, it's not bro science, it's not internet forum bullshit, Sooner or later, I talk to them, and they're just like, fuck, man, you know, I was totally right. Like, that, that last, you know, four or five hours of the hike out, uh, this thing was killing me. And, I mean, case in point, and I, I don't want to just do all the talking here, but you know Frenchie. You know Nathan French really well. Yeah. Right? Him yeah. and I were on a sheep hunt together where he got that gorgeous ram of his, and he's not going to deny this. He had one of those packs, and I had the same fucking Kaferu I have right now, the fulcrum. And he was asking me, you know, a million questions, like, oh, it's got lots of straps, eh? And I'm like, yeah, it's a fucking strappy son of a bitch. But all those straps have a reason. You know, like, if, if we want to talk about the fulcrum, I mean, you guys have done it a million times, one of the reasons why I advocated for so strongly is that those cross straps that go from frame end to frame hand and circumference the bag allow you to control where the weight is. So he and I had a fuck of a hike out. It was 17K as the crow flies. For those that okay. don't know what that means, it's 6.2 miles for every 10K. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Um, so, so anyhow, <laughs> so he learned, because that last fucking 4 or 5K with his pack, uh, he was in excruciating pain. And remember, he was a strapping boy. 
he was 21, I was 42 at the time. And no, sorry, he was 22, I was 44. Like literally half my age. And, um, he could not control where the weight was in that pack. And it was digging into his shoulders, digging into his hips. I was looking at it because he'd asked me frequently to like tighten it up. It was as tight as a cat's ass in January. There's nothing that could be tightened on that fucking thing. And the material was actually pulling away from the stitch points where it was fastened to the frame. So we got to, we got to base camp, dumped everything. He took his shirt off and he had blood blisters running down his ribs on both sides where the, where the side straps had dug in so much. And, um, case in point, fuck a couple years later, I'm at the, uh, I think it was, was it the Reno sheep show? And he's working the booth with you guys. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, ho, ho, what is this? <laughs> right. So, but sometimes you got to experience that pain. You got to have that, that failure of your boot or your tent or your pack system, you know, or, you know, you buy, I don't want to go too far astray here, but you, you know, you, you're enamored with like the six, five caliber. And then you find out that <laughs> the, the bullet flies beautifully but um, the terminal ballistics of it on certain game or in certain circumstances, it just does not bear the same weight that a 284 or a 308 does. And you, you know, you have difficulty putting your animal down or extracting it. You know, if, if, if people want to be stubborn, I'm a stubborn son of a bitch. I mean, uh, half the time I gotta, you know, I gotta be rubbed in my face. But there are some things that you just, you know, like look, stitch density, the density of material, the wideness of straps, the wideness of buckles, that's just fucking physics. It shouldn't be rocket science for people to figure that out. And with that comes a couple of extra pounds. So fucking pony up and do some squat. <laughs> and that goes for everything. You'd mentioned it a second ago, but it's not just, um, you know, packs. It's footwear. It's shelters. It's sleeping bags. It, it, it's everything. Optics. Um, you know, and, and, and um, I'm still of the opinion, and I just got into a long debate at this seminar. Not a long debate, but a decent debate in the seminar. Nothing wrong with the middle middle round, middle grade optics if that's what you can afford, but none of them are going to be the big three. And when I say that, meaning each person's eyes are going to like a, a Swirl, Leica, or Zeiss. One of those three they're going to prefer over the other, but they're all very high quality. But with marketing, I literally, well, last night, I'm not going to say who it was, I get a message. Are Swarovski SLCs better than, and then it listed three of the mid-grade optics. And one of them was a Diamondback from Vortex. That's the bottom of the barrel. And I'm like, uh, yeah, man, of course. Why would you ask that question, though? I had multiple people on a forum tell me that these three optics were every bit as good as an SLC. Where does that come from, right? Oh, like, God. You know, yeah. Oh, so, God. Like, <laughs> so, and you're more of a, are you more of a Leica guy? I know you, you've you used Leica, you've used all of them, but you like Leica as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty clear on that. I think that uh, Leica is, um, well, they're, they're the pioneer in that space. They build um, perhaps the, the truest optical elements when it comes to color rendition, um, contrast, and, uh, you know, if you ever use a Leica lens, I don't know if you own any of those. I've done it. Um, uh, I've, I've, I've taken the same still fucking frame, uh, shots with a Leica lens and a Zeiss lens. And, uh, it's pretty apparent, but, but listen, um, that is not the only criteria that often comes to play when selecting an optic, right? So, so here's case in point. Someone, someone just asked me recently, what's better? 
the new Swarovski NL Pure or the Leica Noctavid? And I said, well, from a pure fidelity standpoint, I still prefer the Noctavid, and I feel that it it's going to give you the truest rendition of what you're looking at. But there are, you know, there are some features with the NL Pure that blow away the competition. Like the, the, the incredible gain in field of view you get given the same magnification pays huge dividends in the field. And the advent of their forehead stabilization thing, uh, allows you to run a 12 power potentially, uh, which is going to help you select, uh, desirable things in your field of view. So it's not just about optical fidelity, but listen, there's a fucking base standard. Okay. And so it's wishful thinking. Absolutely wishful thinking to think you can buy a second or third tier optic that is not getting the glass from those places that Zeiss, Le- uh, Leica, and Suaro are. It's just, it's, again, it's physics. Those guys have pioneered this stuff. They have the best elements. They protect it. And it's up to them whether or not another company is allowed to access it. And that's just pure fact. So there's, you're never going to see observation optics by any of these other companies. And that's a pretty wide sweeping comment. But I'm I'm here to tell you, like I've looked through more rifle scopes and anybody that I know, okay, and you know, I've looked through most binos and uh and compared them critically and, and I and I take the time to talk to my suppliers and try to find out, you know, little things so I can make informed discussions with people. And it boils down to this. If you build something out of steel and your competitor can only access aluminum, like that statement's very true. One's going to be stronger than the other. Well, the same comes to glass and coatings. Coatings are just as important as the glass. No, 100%. And and you just, you can't, uh, there's no magic pill that's going to catapult Asian-made optics in front of uh, European-made. And, and there's there's not really any way around that at this time. Now, 10 years technology, you know, who knows, but we do the same thing with optics, obviously. And we, we test them at great levels. And, and I think what part of the problem is, is a lot of people don't glass for four, six, eight, ten 10 hours a day. When you do that, you same as packing an animal out with a crappy pack, you'll do whatever you can yeah. to get rid of that migraine and you'll start dropping money, you know, until you've experienced the being lost, then you learn to navigate having migraines or a horrible time, you know, not being able to see 15 minutes uh, as late into the darkness or, or low light as your buddy, uh, your, you know, shoulder strap rips off, you're bleeding somewhere, whatever, for packs, your shelter blows down. Those moments that when those happen, there is like this giant turning point in a lot of people's backpack hunting or backpacking career where it's kind of an eye-opener of, holy shit, you know, the, the the inevitable happened. Mother Nature came in. You know, I couldn't see the animal through my spotter. I couldn't see it through my, my rifle scope. And then people start to dissect more. But with the Internet, which is good and also bad, then money also comes into play and sponsorships and things like that. And it, it kind of dilutes and gets very muddy, uh, you know, for the for the best knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said that any better. Like, you, you spend some time behind a cheap spotting scope. So, you, you know, you, you're in the store. You know, most stores won't let you take shit outside, right? Um, you know, you, you look through it. Oh, fuck, that's real bright. Oh, that's pretty good. And you set it up on your tripod and you kind of you swing it around a little bit. You crank it up to like, you know, 45 power or 50 or whatever. And it looks good and bright. But then you get in the field and you're looking at a goat at like 
1,200 yards. And you're trying to figure out, is that a Billy or a Nanny? You know, and there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of shimmer in the air. And so then you crank that thing up past 50, and all of a sudden you're fucking with the, with the focus. You're like, ah, oh, I just can't get this thing focused. And so you can't really differentiate, you know, are those glands behind it, or is, or is this chromatic aberration? What's going on here? And pretty soon, it starts to dawn on you that, like, maybe it's not my eyes, maybe it's not the atmospherics, maybe this thing just does not have the qualities that I'm looking for, for, you know, sustained use. Meanwhile, yeah, your eyes are aching because the eye relief is like your eyeball just about touching the glass. You can't, there's no eye box. You can hardly move. The focus is coarse and choppy. All these things come with sustained use, just like relationships, right? (laughs) Exactly. Which is why you always have your own tent, right? Always. I never go without that. Well, that's so you can spend quality time with your Snickers bars. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Snacks, snacks are important. <laughs> have you, uh, have you guys had a chance to look at those new uh, EL range yet? I'm pretty intrigued by those. Yeah, we, we, Cor- oh, yeah. Corbin's got them down there. Um, you know, when we did, uh, you know, whatever Corbin left to set with Scotty for for guiding for our dad, mm-hmm. they're a lot better than the first go round. That's for sure. <laughs> nice. Well, the glass is on level with the. Uh with the, uh, you know, t- traditional uh, EL Swarovision. They have Swarovision glass. Um, the rangefinder is very, very responsive. Like, I've run them against uh, the, the newest GeoVid and the newest Zeiss RF. And, uh, and the app is actually very nice to, uh, to program if you're going to use the ballistics. Uh, it's pretty intuitive. It's got a good database of uh, projectiles and factory ammo. Uh, I would say that it's it's certainly on par with with the Geovid and the Rangefinder, uh, the Zeiss Rangefinder binos, and the tracking assistant. It's not something that I've used personally, uh, but I think it's it's kind of a neat option. Yeah, it looks like they've uh, they've definitely stepped it up. We we tested out the uh, RF Zeiss quite a bit, and yeah, I've been pretty happy with it. But I I thought that uh, looked like Swaro kind of stepped up their game a little bit on the on the new ELs. Well, they were long overdue for an upgrade on the old EL ranges. For sure. <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. Yeah. Uh, so, so now, um, not to stop talking crap about, uh, gear. So, so everybody, uh, understands like, so precision optics, uh, is is our, our exclusive British Columbia Canadian dealer, um, specifically British Columbia for sure. And you, you sell optics guns, you sell all kinds of crap there. Like tell, tell everybody a little bit about precision optics, where you're located. Cause I can't spell it. Uh, all that stuff. Um, yeah, so Precision Optics is uh, my brother and I's optics firearms company. Um, you know, we're in a few things, groceries, guns, and garbage. Um, the the guns is the part that I spend most of my time with now. Uh, we carry virtually every quality brand that you'd want to put your hands on in the firearms and optics game. We um, We have an extensive and deep inventory of most of those products. Um, the big thing that I think sets us apart from a lot of our competition is that we give a shit. I got into this business because I couldn't get help. I got to go sheep hunting. No one would help me. Uh, as anyone that knows that kind of gets into sheep and alpine hunting, it's kind of hard to sort of get someone to, to help you, um, especially tell you which way to go. And, and I couldn't get gear questions. So I started just adding stuff and, and now it's, you know, it's a, it's a full-time, more than full-time um, consumptive obsession uh, to find the best gear 
and uh, and put them into people's hands. So you know, I'm, I'm happy to help anybody that calls, uh, given the time that I have, to try to make the right right gear choice. And so you know, my my other apparel pack company that um, that we carry is Stone Glacier. We have the exclusive for that. And while they are a competitor of sorts with yours, from my perspective, Aaron, um, I don't see it as competitive. They occupy a slightly different price point. And, um, and it's, it's pretty assuring, reassuring for me that regardless of which way on the decision tree someone decides to go with their purchase, I know that they're getting something that's not going to fail them. Right? They're not going to come back and be like, oh, fuck, that pack broke or whatever, you know. Uh, it's just like optics. Listen, I sell, you know, I, I have someone come in, come in they want to buy a, a rifle scope. Well, every rifle scope that I, I'm going to recommend to them, whether it's a Leopold, a Zeiss, a Swarovski, uh, you know, Leica doesn't really have a an option at this time. And we're looking forward to their new Amplis scope whenever Ryan Trenka, if you're listening, I want one of those scopes, please. Um, or a Night Force. I know that it's not going to fail. It's going to, it's going to do the part for them. So I would say that we're in the gear business, obviously, but I like to think that we're more in the advocacy business, right? Like you call, I'm going to give you straight goods. I'm going to give you real advice. And it's not salesmanship. Anybody that knows me, I will often talk people off the ledge of spending money unnecessarily when I think there's an option that better suits them. And um, and then the other really good part about it is that, you know, it's a pretty tight community here in B.C., um, you know, it's like sheep, goat, alpine, you know, backcountry kind of capital. And a lot of the guys that buy gear, man, for me, like they're tough, hard motherfuckers and they put it through the paces. So if something doesn't work, I get immediate feedback. So it's, it's kind of a nice, uh, feedback system that we have. Um, we're, uh, located in Quinnell. You can find us on the web, precisionoptics.net. Uh, me or Mike, my right hand man, um, or Michelle, um, my my other right hand is going to help you um, connect to the right gear. Uh, sometimes it takes a little while for us to get back to you, but we will get back to you. Uh, if we don't have it, we'll get it for you. Um, on the Kaferu front, you know, phase one was getting uh, a good selection of packs up here, but I promise you, we'll have the parkas and the whoobies and the slick bags and all that stuff on the shelf, ready to go. Yeah, I don't know what else you want me to. Bullshit about with that, but no, no. Uh, I think I think, help you out. I think that's good. I uh, I wanted to let you know. I posted up on my page. I had a lot of people ask. So obviously, our our relationship with Omer is going to be you know building larger and larger as time goes on. I just wanted to get you on here, shoot the shit, kind of tell everybody how we met and some of our philosophies and views. And I, uh, you and I only talk about once a year now. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate. At some point in time, we should probably go kill something together, but. Uh, yeah, no, I've just, I've, you were always like-minded and, and, uh, we, we had some of the same enemies that we could make fun of together, which was great. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but no, I, that, that's about it, man. I figured, uh, we'll kind of let this, um, you know, simmer, let everybody, you know, get some feedback, have people, whatever, con- you know, see how the ordering goes and then get you back on here in a month or two. And, uh, you know, when we got more time, shoot the shit again. Absolutely. I just got to say that, uh. You know, it's 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 been a long time coming, and uh, like I literally get goosebumps when I uh, when I see like Mike adding your stuff to our website and just the phone calls that have been coming in and just answering Instagram, you know, DMs and stuff, and the fact that I have I have the stuff in my humble little store, 
and I can talk them through it and put it in their hands. So here's to a, here's to a bright future pushing your gear. Definitely, man. Well, I appreciate everything. Appreciate the friendship. I'm about to go get my butthole played with. I got to get a physical uh, for life insurance policy. So I don't know what that entails. They told me to drink lots of water. So I've been, I think I've pissed four times since we've been on this podcast. I try to be sneaky about it. So nice. Yeah. So nice. cool, man. Thanks again for everything. So everybody, it's uh, precision.optics on Insta- Instagram, uh, but precision optics in Quinnell, British Columbia, Omer Herbinick. <laughs> Boner Dick. Boner <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, thanks again, man. Take it easy. Okay, guys. Take it easy. Cheers.